0: And ha! Oh God, Daddy, stay on your bike, And you know uh, your legs are, are burning, and you don't want to turn around anymore. And you know if somebody you now attacks, you're going to be like blown out of the water. But you just go, no, I just keep going, just keep going. tied on the inside, it's the solo on the barriers. Oh, what about that? Now then, everybody, I am Tom Ramsey, and welcome to the Edge Coaching Podcast. This podcast will provide a clear insight into the world of athletic performance and help provide a clear, relatable understanding into subject areas revolving training, nutrition, stress, psychology, and much, much more. Without further ado, let's begin. Now then. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Edge Coaching Podcast, episode number eight. 18 today's podcast is everything to do with tapering for an event so this is part two of the three-part mini-series time to perform so the last podcast that i did was the first part of that mini-series where we did about nutrition and how to tailor on nutrition for race day this podcast will be all about tapering for race day and then the last part of that mini-series, part three, will be the next podcast, which is all to do with race tactics and on-the-day warm-up protocols. Um, so before I just get into the um, the podcast itself, I'll just set the scene. I am currently sat in my dining room slash office. Um, it's Wednesday today, um, and I am going to be riding today. I'm coaching... One of my athletes later on a one-to-one basis um, and i'll be out on the road bike a bit later i'm hopefully not going to get pissed on because uh it's forecast showers later on and it's currently bright sunshine so it's one of those scenarios where i'm having to wait till later in the day to ride but um realistically i'd prefer to be riding now if if possible (laughs) Um, tomorrow i've got that local crit at ennerdale so today's session won't be too demanding, um, but equally enough to uh, to ho- hopefully open the legs up a little bit, ready for tomorrow. Um, it's currently eleven o'clock in the morning. Um, I've been for a lovely long dog walk this morning, actually, because um, I had and you had a fairly sedentary morning this morning. Um, I got up in good time and and took the dog out for about an hour, um, about half six before breakfast, and it was really nice just to um, just to have some. <laughs> One-on-one time with the dog. Um, it sounds really daft, but a lot of the dog walks recently have been with my wife and with my daughter. And I genuinely think that um, Duke is missing a little bit of like the interaction. You know, as much as we're throwing throwing the ball for Duke all the time and and still giving him that physical exertion, I think he actually misses out on a bit of the uh one-to-one interaction with us sometimes and uh yeah one on the dog walk this morning with him i left my phone at home and i just went out for an hour and and gave him that love and attention that he really likes and he seems to be in a much better mood today so (laughs) um i've still not yet moved house um i think i mentioned it on one of the previous podcasts podcasts we are moving to beverly very shortly Uh, we've have had our offer accepted on our house um and we've sold our current house and uh it's just in that kind of um it's just that waiting game at the minute for the solicitors to sort the stuff stuff out um really frustrating scenario because every time i ring the solicitors they always say oh you know we're waiting for this waiting for that um when in actual fact i think they're just trying to delay things as much as possible um in terms of their workload but Um, we should be moving in the next few weeks, which will be good because the new house that I'm moving to, I've got my own separate study slash office area. And, um, and also, yeah, it's just a better working environment, more room to work rather than having to work in the dining room like I am now. (laughs) But, um, but yeah, looking forward to that. So let's crack on with the podcast then. Um, today's podcast, as I said, is is all about tapering. So, um, basically everything about getting yourself in peak physical condition ready for um ready for a critical event now uh, for the purpose of um definition and clarity i'll just define peaking uh, um in in my context so peaking or a for a single day race means that you're arriving on race day as mentally and physically prepared as possible so you are arriving at that race with potential for your strongest performance of the season um better than any previous performances of that that season and the art the art of peaking requires very smart creative scheduling of a proper taper now um a quote i i really liked when researching a bit for this podcast was training can be a lot like drinking or drinking alcohol um to have a great time you need to know when to stop in the week leading up to a race or event athletes can do more to undermine their training than they can to enhance it yet just like that one more drink it's the prospect of getting a little extra something that gets you in trouble. So peaking and, and tapering for, um, for a key event is, is very much like that, um, in that sometimes, you know, one more extra session or one more um, hard effort can often just send you over the edge, no pun intended, um, in terms of, uh, you know, trying to ask too much out of yourself and therefore um, letting your performance drop. Um, an an important point to make when it comes to peaking for an event is that um, insecurity of athletes is what drives athletes to make mistakes in that week or two leading up to an important event. Um, and the issue that many athletes throughout a plethora of different performance levels lack um, confidence in their ability or their form. So um, athletes that um, don't really trust their training schedule and trust the form that they have often end up doing too much um, prior to a big race and therefore really, really spoil their their ability to perform, uh, perform well on race days. Um, a good training program delivers the final significant training stimulus, which is um, far out enough from your goal event to allow for both adaptation and complete recovery. So for the majority of amateur cyclists, this means normal training should stop anywhere between a week two weeks prior to your event um and be followed by a short taper Um, but you need to remember that that training stress in the short term causes fatigue which suppresses performance so that's that's one of the main things you need to understand Um, and i appreciate some of you listening to this podcast uh, sorry everyone that listens to this podcast will be at different levels in terms of their understanding of basic physiology but from a basic perspective you need to consider that after we do it after we have a training stress placed upon us that causes a a certain uh, stimuli which is fatigue and that fatigue suppresses short-term performance so we need to allow that fatigue to completely surpass before we can actually um perform well again on the bike um But the the only way to reap all of the benefits of your program is to significantly reduce your workout load um, and let your true fitness rise all the way up to the surface. Um, But the taper is a massive balancing act. Um, For example, if you had an event, a key event in the calendar, and you did nothing but rest for... A week before the event so you had seven days of complete rest you were sedentary on the sofa and you didn't get up apart from getting some food Um, you know you had great sleep and good food but you just rested all the way up to race day well that would give you a lot of um, uh, you you know you would feel well rested you wouldn't have any residual fatigue going into race day but you would feel god-awful on the uh, on the start line through the race you wouldn't be fresh to be fresh and to feel good you need some intense workouts within that week um to to kind of get you firing again but the 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 two seem at odds with each other you know rest and intensity seem like two opposite ends of the spectrum but tapering is all about reducing the overall training workload while retaining just enough stimuli to keep the body primed and ready to go um, we need to consider also, so if you think about, you know, what I just said there in terms of uh, fatigue following training and the negative effects on performance, you also need to consider that highly trained individuals who are used to training frequently do not deal well with long periods of rest. There's, sen- there's several um, short term physiological adaptations which occur from rest days. So um, a couple of little facts to note is that in terms of actual reduction in fitness, it can take about two weeks before your fitness actually starts to decline from stopping training. So if you were to stop training completely and just rest it would take about two weeks in terms of the long-term kind of fitness changes to start to occur. However, even after two or three days of recovery or rest, there's certain short-term physiological changes which start to occur, which can also make you feel pretty crappy if you start to train again or race. So for example, um, blood starts to become a little bit more viscous and uh, blood flow can then therefore be inhibited. Um, also for example uh, circulating glycogen stores um, are less so after um, after a couple of days of rest so the ability to mop up uh, muscle and blood glycogen in an event can become reduced as well. So again that's another justification for why you can't just do two weeks of full rec- full rest and recovery. Um, tapering for events does show some differences though, depending on what the event is that you're trying to taper for. Um, for example, if it's a short crit or a TT um, that, you're ta- that you're tapering for, you may want to include some very race specific efforts in there which includes short sharp bursts of power but if it's very long kind of um a long race such as a gravel race or over six hours or a massive long sportive which is over five six hours then it's more about prioritizing freshness um on the day and loading up glycogen stores in the days leading up to the event um what what, to be honest though if i'm being brutally honest Peaking for a single event, and and I probably should have mentioned this at the start of the podcast. Peaking for a single event in the season is very very rare these days. Um, and to be honest, like I don't I don't think I'm thinking about my athletes now. I don't think I employ this for even one of my athletes uh, that I coach. Um, this is because often races are run on series you know there's a a series of crits there might be some town center crit races in a group of races such such as Otley Otley GP, Ilkley GP Um, and and, um, you know a a series of different time trial events that you want to target or for example the tour series which is coming up soon you know that races typically come in blocks so it might be a short-term block for example it might be um, it might be kind of you know one race every week for a period of five weeks or it could be um one a race in July one KiA race the following month one key a race the following month um but you know I mean it, let's even nowadays like grand Tour races, they aren't basing their whole careers on a single event in the year. They are often having multiple peaks in the year, and this is never. This has never been more true than this year. You know, if you look at Matthew Banfield, you know he he did exceptionally well in the Tour de France. Um, he did exceptionally well in uh, the mountain bike racing, um, and also exceptionally well in the cyclocross season. You know he he's essentially dominated a lot of different disciplines at different points of the year. And he has had many different peaks in the year. But, um, you know, when we talk about tapering, a lot of people specifically think, you know, they're selecting one big race in the year and they're tapering the whole year to devote to this one single event. Um, To be honest, that... (laughs) I find that's more true to, um, certain triathletes. Um, so I've got a couple of triathletes in my books who, um, for example, they're training for an Ironman event in August and their builds, their focus has been for that Ironman, but that's more so because of the nature that the natural demand for that massive, stimuli in one day you know it's um it's a huge day in itself and therefore you need to prepare so well for that one event they have got other races in the calendar but their priority their priority is that ironman um but realistically most of my athletes have got other events that they want to do well in and um as soon as you have you know four five six a races that you want to taper and peak for then realistically you can't necessarily have you know a two-week taper for example for every single one of those events because if you're tapering your um, training for every single one of those five events in the year that overall lack of volume and lack of workload in those five times two week tapers is you know 10 full weeks of compromised training so you need to consider how many of these peaks you're going to be having Um, you know a classic example is let's say i mean you know for most of you listening to this podcast um you've probably got a year that's very similar to me in terms of um in terms of your race scheduling so for example you may have let's say 10 to 15 races in your calendar you might have 20 races in your calendar but these certain races um, are sectioned into different events so for my athletes in particular when my athletes put on the calendar what races they're going to be doing they um, label them as a races b races or c races so Um, Priority events are A races. Um, Races which are fairly important are B races. And races which you literally aren't fussed about and they're just kind of training races are C races. So the events which would require, require a specific peak in fitness and form would be these A races as an example. And there is likely only gonna be two or three to four of these A races in the whole season. Um, There isn't really any tapering at all required for C races, like literally nothing would change. And for B races, there's no tapering per se. You just make sure that you're fresh for the day. So for example, you might rest a few days out for the B races. Um, and have a little primer ride before the B race. Um, but it's only these A races where you would specifically taper, uh, you know, a, a couple of weeks a weeks out from the event. Just have a sip of my drink. So, um, the most common mistakes for peaking for event is often related to three things one is people do too much volume the next one is people do too much or too little intensity and the next one is people just don't recover enough they don't they don't arrive on the start line fresh enough um other factors which uh, other factors leading into the race that can negatively affect performance include things like the quality of rest the level of life stress, um, travel logistics, and diet. Um, There is no perfect plan, only proper adjustment with training and rest to get to race day with everything needed to succeed. To be in peak form, a reduction in training volume is needed to reduce fatigue and increase freshness. A basic focus on intensity is also needed to maintain fitness Um, but depending on the demand of the race reducing volume can start as early as even three to four weeks um, from the race Um, and you know talking about these a races if it's a very very targeted event at the latest you know we should start to reduce training volume around 10 days before before race day um, but this is also subject to your trained state and your individual recovery ability um, race specific intensity is is important this is another key factor so um, race specific intensity is important during this time but Interval days need to be spaced every two to three days apart, kind of thing, um, to prevent kind of a building of unwanted fatigue. So, if there is one, if there is one takeaway point from this podcast, um, I must stress: like it does take a long time to fully recover from and and kind of adapt to a s- specific training session so take for example if on a sunday you go out and you do four hours with some sweet spot efforts and some vo2 max efforts in there it's a bloody tough session And you get back and you're absolutely knackered it's likely going to take two full weeks to fully recover and adapt to that specific training session um now Recovery is different to recovery and adaptation. What we mean by adaptation is that your physiology has actually changed in a positive way from that session. So this is one main takeaway point from this podcast is that because it takes that amount of time to fully recover and adapt to a specific training session. That being said, there is very, very little benefit from doing anything majorly, majorly stressful um, or highly specific to try and gain from, from that session two weeks before a main event. You know, if let's say, for example, you are, um, you, you know, you've got one more race in the whole season. Let's say, you know, it's right at the end of the season and you've been looking forward to this one key A race which is on the 10th of August, let's say, and you've trained really hard, you're in really good shape, and it's two weeks out from the event, it's unlikely that you're actually gonna have time two weeks out before the event to really, really reap the rewards from any training that you've got between now and that event. So what is critical now is that you've done all of the training that you need to do. You've adapted now and now it's just about focusing on rest and recovery and priming your um, systems to, to peak for this event. So um, that's kind of one of the, the, the main takeaway points from this. Um, the, the, that At that point, two weeks before the event, it's more about the importance of the focus on recovery than hard back-to-back training days um so if i see anybody on strava or any of my athletes suggesting that they need to really ramp up their training two weeks before let's say the last a race of the season you know i just i've just got my hand my head in my hands um shaking my head really because uh, you know the hard work should have been done done and dusted and um And you should be already kind of uh, weaning things off a little bit, really. Um, That being said, you know, there is still lots of fairly hard, intense sessions within that two weeks before an event, um, which I'm going to come on to just now. So let's use a two-week taper for this example. Now, um, again, I must stress, For this example, I am talking about, um, you know, if we we look at a calendar, you've had your full kind of season of racing. You've got one more A race in the calendar, which is at the end of the season, and after this race, you're done. You know, after this race, you can have a bit of a transition phase and enter the off season. Um, Now, what we need to consider though is that if you have got multiple a races in the calendar so for example if you have got this main a race then in two weeks after that you've got another a race then you might have to manipulate this a little bit your your taper might well be shorter um, and it might be more a a little bit more refined having a little bit more intensity in there and more volume in there but here are some basic guidelines for how to get your Self in the best physical condition um for a key a race and i'll be basing this example in terms of um the event on let's just say um let's just say this example is on like a 50 or 60 mile road race um which you've been targeting for a while but but that being said in terms of the kind of physiology physiological demand um this same example can apply to anything which is similar in physiology so such as you know a, a 25 mile time trial you know for example the national tt which is coming up um or anything which is around that kind of duration uh, and intensity so two weeks out your volume should already be starting to decrease um so realistically and, and I am going to kind of, you know, section these weeks. We're going to assume that this this race that we're talking about, this peak race, is on a Saturday or a Sunday. Two weeks out from that race, you should start to be reducing volume already. Um, volume would typically be two weeks out, rough about seventy to eighty percent of a normal training volume. So as an example, if you're averaging around 12 to 13 hour weeks um, for your training normally, your two weeks out volume should be about nine to 10 hour range. Um, but it's, it's really important to trust this reduction in, in training volume and not try and do more. Um, the, the fatigue will start to be dropping off a little bit now so if you just naturally do the same intensity but drop off the volume you know obviously your training stress will go down and therefore the fatigue will go down and you'll start to become a little bit a little bit fresher Um, in terms of intervals and intensity um, you don't need to be changing too much so if you're, you know, obviously if you if you're if you're used to doing twelve to thirteen hours and you reduce that to nine to ten hour range, a lot of that reduc- reduction in volume can basically happen by taking off some zone two riding. So most of that reduction in volume will just um, will just come down to taking off little bits of zone two, you know, aerobic base riding. So as an example, on a weekend, if you normally do um, on a Saturday, a three hour ride and a Sunday, a four hour ride, then you might want to reduce that volume down to a two hour ride and a three hour ride. So there straight away, you've, you've reduced your overall volume in the week by two hours and you're kind of getting down to that range. So you could, as an example, you know, you could still have that Uh, Monday to Friday, very similar to what you're used to, but you've reduced the overall volume of the weekend down uh, by two hours. A A better way of doing that would probably be to nip little bits of volume off throughout the entirety of the week, rather than leaving it down to the weekend. So as an example, if on a Wednesday, you normally do a commute into and back from work, and that totals Three hours because you do a bit of a longer loop to and from work Then you might want to just go straight to and from work make it an hours commute and and nip a bit of the volume off there Another example would be that on a Thursday if you do a 30-minute warm-up Then a set of intervals and a 30-minute cool down You might want to reduce that warm-up and cool down a little bit um, to reduce your overall volume Um, Or rather than doing a two-hour ride on Tuesday with a set of intervals in there, you might want to do a one-hour ride with a set of intervals in there. But you can soon start to understand why you can easily knock off about 25% of your uh, total weekly volume. Now, in terms of intervals though, um, you still need to be having intensity in that week. So two weeks prior to the event, the the intervals and the intensity still needs to be there. So roughly speaking, nothing much needs to change intensity intensity-wise. If you normally do, for example, some VO2 Max work on a Tuesday and some threshold work on a Thursday, then that can still be included. And you shouldn't really need to be changing that too much. Um you could have for example you could have in the week two days of moderate or longer intervals so like some threshold intervals um, and one day of the week focused on like leg speed or sprints for example now personally this is personal preference um i prefer to start to drop off the amount of threshold intervals that I do and actually do a little bit more of the shorter, sharper intervals. And that comes with my, personally, my whole season. So because I do um, quite a lot of short, sharp crit racing and things like that, basically a lot of my pre-season work is devoted to upping my, upping my threshold uh, and aerobic capacity. And um, when it comes to race season because i'm racing fairly regularly um, then a lot of my actual sessions are based on short sharp efforts and less physiologically demanding longer efforts Um, but again that's just more so personal preference so don't necessarily employ that into your your session design your weak design um, but yeah the takeaway point though is that your intervals still need to re- remain in the plan um, you can even include some kind of race simulation efforts so um, you know for example you can you can simulate the kind of efforts that you would encounter in that race so If, for example, in the road race, there is a certain hill, which is three minutes in duration, you can go and ride up to a hill, which is exactly three minutes in duration. And you can try and simulate the kind of pace that you might have to ride up that for a couple of efforts. Um, But again, you know, this is is done on a fairly low volume basis. So you wouldn't go out and decide, oh, I feel good today. I'm going to do 20 reps of this three minute climb. You know, you would keep the volume fairly low there. Um, you've got to account for a couple of adjustments though as well. So, if you're entering this week coming off um, coming off a few higher volume weeks, you may need a few days recovery to start the week. So, you know it's all right saying keep that week the same in terms of intervals, but if you've just come off. some very very hard weeks then you might actually want to just completely rest on the monday and tuesday and then start to bring in a bit of training on the wednesday for example and space out the the hard workouts for for over the weekend um but if you enter that week fairly fresh then you want to obviously keep the intervals in there um so coming into one week out from the event um again the main point here is that your volume should reduce again so we're probably about one week from the event going to go down to roughly 50 percent of your average weekly training volume so again if you're used to working 12 to 13 hour weeks you're kind of looking at around that six hour mark ish five to six to seven hour mark um of total riding leading into the race. Um, again, this is fairly subjective and based on your personal feeling and, and perception, but you have got to remember that you're not going to benefit from any of these training stimuli now. From one week into the, the event, you're not going to physiologically be able to adapt to these training stimuli well enough. So it's literally just about priming but prioritizing recovery to make sure you're fresh so these last week this last week um the intervals would be better to be short um such as 30 second efforts 60 second efforts um a few efforts at threshold pace could work but those still should be fairly short efforts so you know physiologically yes we can hold our threshold pace for up to an hour but you certainly wouldn't be anywhere near holding that threshold pace for that kind of duration. You might only actually hold your threshold pace for three to four to five minutes, which would actually be, you know, not too demanding, but it would certainly get the blood flowing kind of thing. Um, And these efforts should be spaced well within the workout to allow plenty of recovery after each effort. So you wouldn't be, For example, you wouldn't be doing efforts which are specifically reducing your recovery time in between efforts. Examples of sessions could be like, for example, one minute on at 120% FTP with two minutes off. You know, um, and you might do that 10 times or eight times or six times, depending on your trained state. None of these efforts in this last week, though, should leave you feeling absolutely goosed. You know, they should they should be demanding enough to get your heart rate going, but equally you should be f- finishing every single one of those efforts, those sessions, sorry, thinking, oh, I could have probably done another few blocks if needed be. Um, so if, for example, the race that we're targeting is on a Sunday, you could work some short efforts into the plan on, let's say, the Tuesday and the Thursday of that race week, um now the way in which i like to do that race week myself personally um and again this is subjective this is actually what i employ most of my athletes um and myself included but not all because some of them actually don't respond as well to this kind of taper basically if the race is on a sunday working back um the day before i.e. the saturday would be a pre-race activation ride so it would be roughly 60 to 90 minutes with some short sharp openers in there two days before the event the friday would be a complete rest day or very very easy short spin the last um hard day i guess would be the thursday but again when i say hard i still mean not not truly demanding i'm saying you know uh, as an example that session i said where it was two minutes on one minute off i might do that on the thursday for example Um, the wednesday would be an easy spin the tuesday would be another of those short sharp efforts and the monday would be a rest day so um so basically monday rest tuesday short sharp efforts wednesday easy spin thursday short sharp efforts friday full day of rest saturday pre-race activation ride sunday race so that would be like a normal uh tapering week i guess um but again it would it would vary depending on your trained state what you're used to and what works for you um so yeah going back to what i just said that that day prior to the race is kind of reserved for these openers these um short fast sprints which are 10 to 30 seconds in length um focused on fast cadence um these efforts are spaced with plenty of recovery in between each effort and this um kind of uh this um ride would be no more than 90 minutes in length you know usually for a lot of people that's 40 40 minutes to an hour long um and and also you know the duration of that pre-race ride in terms of total length should be um dependent on the duration of the event itself on the sunday so typically the longer the event is going to be on the sunday the shorter the pre-race ride should be um there are a few adjustments though in this last week before the event um so and these can make quite a big difference on race day so if you're too fatigued coming into this final week um and skip these race prep workouts you can end up on race day with with poor form and feeling a bit flat uh you know a bit heavy-legged um what you need to make sure is that if anything you're overly fresh coming into that last week so that you can actually keep that intensity at good quality in that last week. Um reaching peak form you know it requires a lot of focus on the details. Um including riding on the bike that you'll be racing on as often as possible, for example. So you know if you're racing your mountain bike in this A race then you wouldn't do all of your uh, riding two weeks before the event on your road bike because no two bikes fit the same and certain training adaptations on one bike bike may not transfer directly to another bike. Um, That being said, um, I personally do actually like to do my pre-race ride the day before on a different bike. Um, So for example, if I've got a road race on a sunday then the ride that i do on the saturday so obviously if i'm doing a road race on the sunday that'll be on my road racing bike my road bike um if i'm doing a pre-race ride on the, the sasa the day before i'll actually usually do that on my cyclocross bike on the road or i'll do it on my mountain bike um for two reasons one it means that my road bike is already prepped it's got my race wheels in it's nice and polished and cleaned and it's running mint and i'm not going to go out and get a puncture or have a mechanical and ruin my race day but secondly sounds daft but if i go on my cyclocross bike on the road the day before my race day it means that when i jump on my race bike on the sunday morning it just feels fast and it feels mint and it and it's not draggy like my cross bike is on the road. So I have a bit of a morale boost. It sounds daft, but it, it always gives me a bit of a boost. Um, but, um, but yeah, also thing, you know, consider things like working race simulated efforts on a terrain, which is similar to the race. Um, so for example, this is more so for mountain bikers, but if mountain bikers, are Racing on um, a course which is going to be really dry, dusty, gravelly, then you might want to work on your technical skills. You know, in that last two weeks before the um, before the race, working on fast intervals, um, just so that you acclimatise to that kind of terrain. Um, we, you know, it's a really important kind of factor that you that a lot of people miss out on, and it's something that I've uh, fall foul of before where I've you know done loads of training on the road a few weeks out from a mountain bike event. And then I get on my mountain bike, and although I'm fit, um, it just feels so unfamiliar. And, I, and um, I'm not used to going fast at speed on um, off-road terrain. So it, it feels so unfamiliar, I guess. Um, so hopefully that gives you a little bit of an insight into how best to taper for a key event. Um, The takeaway points, I guess, are that you need to put yourself in a position when you approach two weeks out from a key event where you are confident in the training that you've done. So you are already as fit as you are, you want to be two weeks out before an event and you're, you know, you're fully confident in your ability at that point, um, you know, after months of training, um, Confident athletes are in this position where they can rest easy knowing that they're as fit as they're going to be um, and you know insecure athletes who aren't in that position start to second guess themselves and try and cram in too much training and that just always leads the, down the wrong path so you know obviously if you were to approach a coach like myself I would be able to get you in a position where I know I can you know you're where you need to be two weeks out before the event but realistically, if you're, um, if you're controlling your own, your own training, um, you need to be well-educated to make sure that you're in that, that best state because you, you aren't going to be able to reap the rewards and adapt from uh, any kind of training stress, which is 10 days, two weeks out from a key event. Um, now, a little side note to everything that we've just said today is that If you've got multiple key events in the calendar, which a lot of you will do that are listening to this podcast, then it's unrealistic to have a two-week taper for every single one of those key events. So, and a lot of my athletes, um, you know, going back to that Matthew Van Paul example, a lot of my athletes are actually in this um, scenario where you know we're not peaking for one certain event in the calendar what we're doing is we're getting that athlete to roughly 95 to 98% of their true potential ready for the start of the season but then we're keeping that 95 to 90% 95, 95 to 98% peak form for the entirety of the season And there will be ever so small peaks and troughs for little deload weeks here and there when they suit, but we're actually pinging all the way through the year. To be able to do that is very difficult, and it takes a lot of detailed planning and manipulation of certain training stresses, but it's possible. And for athletes who are wanting to perform all the way across a summer or all the way across a winter in a cyclocross season, for example, that often works the best. Um, because let's be honest, most of you listening to this podcast won't be peaking for one event in the whole season. And that's it. Um, I can only think of like, say, one or two of my athletes who are, who are peaking for an Ironman event in a triathlon um, where that would be the case. Um, so to finish off this podcast, um, this morning I put out my Instagram stories, a and a uh, sticker and I got some responses asking asking some questions basically um, now these some of these were related to tapering some of these weren't related to tapering um, but I'm, I'm actually gonna do a bit of a quick fire one this time I'm actually not going to go into loads of detail I'm actually just going to um, go through them in order I'm gonna answer ten um, and they're going to be quite quite quick-fire quick um, answers, because, again, I want to keep this under, under an hour if I can. So, number one. Um, and again, just to reiterate, I have not rehearsed any of the answers to these questions, any of the responses whatsoever. Um, ice baths, are they worth it? In my opinion, no. If you look into the research, there is inconclusive evidence that ice baths are beneficial for recovery there is some evidence to suggest that ice baths will um inhibit or delay the um, onset of muscle soreness however in terms of central and peripheral recovery they do not help you now also in my opinion ice baths are freaking horrendous I can't stand them. I went through a period of of doing them. If they subjectively make you feel better, then yes, there might be some benefit. But if they make you feel horrendous and they fill you with dread, like they do me, then there is no beneficial response to having an ice bath. Um, Another question for youth athletes, how important is recovery? (laughs) Um, To be honest, I don't fully understand this question. Um, feel free to message me again with a with a further question because I appreciate that these questions they only have a, I think it's like 20 words that they can ask um, for youth athletes how important is recovery very important uh, just as important as anyone else obviously youth athletes typically recover faster uh, they've got certain uh, they've got a lot less life stress than, than older athletes obviously um, but yeah just as important if um for youth athletes um recovering from a crash dot 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 again I, come on guys give me some something to go out here <laughs> recovering from a crash dot 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 is is this guy's question uh so recovering from a crash i'm, I'm i can only assume that you are asking what what, I need, what you need to consider recovering from a crash. Um, okay, clean your wounds. If you've got any wounds, um, keep as much movement as possible in any of your joints and bones. Um, injuries typically, un- unless it's a broken bone or a rupture or, or an actual um, stress fracture or anything like that, most injuries, if it's bruising, does actually, uh, you know, Uh, do better from movement so if you can obviously i don't know how bad your injuries are if you've got injuries but if you can keep movement in that area then it's only going to help your recovery in terms of blood flow um rest ice ice the area compression compress the area if it's again if it's um bruising and swelling and um elevate the area as well um But yeah also keep it keep it moving um another question is there a problem if the majority of my zone two rides turn out mostly zone one um depend depend depends what you what you mean as a problem um it's not a massive problem obviously it's gonna um it's gonna start to Mean that your overall weekly TSS is not at where it should be Um, So in terms of progressive overload and making week-by-week training more and more demanding It is going to turn into a problem Um, It depends on the scenario as well So if you're going into a zone 2 ride and you're absolutely knackered hence you are starting to ride at zone one because that's all you can actually get the energy to do then fair enough you probably need it but if you're if i'm prescribing a zone two ride for an athlete and they're doing zone one then they're not um stressing the appropriate physiological mechanism that we are looking for to um that we're looking to elicit in that training session so we're not we're not actually taxing the aerobic system in the the way that we're trying to trying to um, achieve another question how do you go about recovery if you don't get a good night's sleep before an event etc um to be honest on a on a short-term basis if you don't sleep very well one night before the event it's not going to massively um affect your performance on that race day so don't stress about it too much so for example if if on this you know these all this this um this podcast we've been talking about this key a race if the night before that key a race you haven't been able to sleep very well that's not necessarily going to massively impact um your performance on that race day it's more on um, a chronic level so sleep deprivation is huge um probably one of the main things when it comes down to recovery Um, but it's only more so on a chronic level so day to day so um, the question was how do you go about recovery if you don't get a good night's sleep before an event I wouldn't stress about it too much Um, if you for example though if you've done the event and then in the afternoon after the event you've got time for a nap try and take a nap try and get a bit of sleep during the day because Um, having a nap, even a 20 minute nap during the day can negate or mitigate some of the, um, negative effects on your hormones that a poor night's sleep can have. Um, question number six, how much protein post-workout? Um, I'll answer this shortly. Um, somewhere in between 20 grams and 50 grams would be appropriate um on a a more refined sorry on a on a, a better way of answering this 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 question would be to prioritize pro- protein more on a, a total from a total day perspective so make sure you're having about 1.6 grams per kilo of body weight throughout the entirety of your day uh, as a total day daily protein target after that you can start to think about um, distributing that protein serving those protein servings over the course of the day into smaller servings and less importance about having protein directly post workout however to answer the question specifically to maximally stimulate muscle protein synthesis we need about a Minimum of about 20 20 to 25 grams of protein. So Anything slightly more than that would be ideal Question seven rest days Question mark are they required question mark? um rest days aren't for everybody but Generally generally as a rule I would advise at least one rest day Now a rest day doesn't necessarily mean you need to do absolutely f all so I typically as uh, an example have one rest day in my week in that I don't go on my bike nor do I go to the gym nor do I don't go for a run. However, I'm not sedentary in that rest day. I do always in my rest days do about 10,000 steps. So on my rest days I'd have a step target which is 10,000 steps typically just to keep my metabolism keeping kicking over ticking over, sorry. Um to keep blood flow and to stop me f- feeling crap, <laughs> um, but yeah, typically rest days—they're not absolutely required; they're not essential. But for most people, they are a good, um, a good thing to include in your plan. Question number eight: Post-workout meal? Question mark. Sorry. Uh, what's your favorite post-workout meal? Question mark. Um, quick drink. Sorry, dry throat. My favorite post-workout meal is, I've mentioned it before on the podcast, it's my protein rice crispy bowl. So I get a big bowl, I put 100 grams of rice krispies in that bowl, I then um, make a protein shake in a shaker with like a scoop of vanilla protein or chocolate protein and oat milk and then i pour that protein shake over that bowl of rice krispies so i've just made a vanilla or chocolate flavored rice krispie bowl and i promise you it absolutely hits the spot and it's really really good for for like uh, recovery because i've got 80 grams of carbs in there and 20 grams of protein as a one hit and um, digest really easily and hits the spot every single time question number nine bcaas slash eaas are they worth it to be honest i think personally i think bcaas are one of the biggest rip-offs in the supplement industry right now Um, my overall take on them would be that if you're having a very very low overall daily protein intake for example less than one gram per kilo of body weight Um, then introducing BCAAs to like intra-workout drink for example may help mitigate some muscle protein breakdown from that session or from uh, from the training session in the day but that being said if your protein intake is in the day fairly okay then it won't have any real effect whatsoever um you know, and your, your, and, and to be fair, if your protein intake isn't where it should be, then that money that you're spending on BCAAs would be better spent on, for example, extra chicken or extra protein shakes, you know, um, rather than BCAAs. Um, in terms of EAAs, very, very similar argument, to be honest, um, if i was to buy eaa's or bcaa's i would go for eaa's um, but again they're they're more expensive so take it what you will um, but to be honest like you know if you are supplementing bcaa's but you're not tracking your overall daily protein targets you need to reassess your priorities put it that way um, what is, uh, question number 10, which is the last question that I'm going to ask, uh, answer, what is the anabolic window? Oh no, right, okay, so um, the anabolic window um, is this notion that there is a certain time frame post-workout when you need to consume a certain amount of protein or you will negate the benefits um of of that certain workout um and to be fair so this this concept of post workout protein um and the anabolic window has been well popularized through forums magazines and and you know that whole kind of workout gym fitness uh, culture in recent years and uh what we do know is that this um uh, this really isn't that true and many many research studies recently have um basically found that that it's kind of a load of of um bull really um and you know if i'm honest when i was 18 19 years old you know i thought it was true and and You'd catch me in on after every single workout, making sure that I have a shake with with a decent amount of protein directly post-workout to not to lose my gains, I guess. Um, but yeah, what we do know now is that, that this isn't true. And actually, there is a, um, a really heavy emphasis now on your total daily protein intake as opposed to directly post-workout protein. Um, what's more important directly post workout especially if it was a hard intense workout which is depleted your glycogen stores what's more important is actually replacing that glycogen so often you might see me with a a shake post workout um that is at, that shake that i'm having is actually um prior, prioritizing a, a lot of carbohydrates so especially if i'm training again that day or the next day that shake post-workout shake can often have about 50 60 grams of fast digesting carbohydrates in um with admittedly a little bit of protein in to stimulate muscle muscle protein synthesis um but actually that protein in it is also there to help shunt the carbohydrate into the muscle because there's some research been uh, showing the benefits of that um but yeah to answer your question the anabolic window is not so much a thing anymore. It's more about total daily protein intake um, and separating that total daily protein intake up into you know four to five decent servings of protein throughout the entirety of the day. That being said as well though, if you are out on a long ride or a long race and you haven't consumed protein throughout the entirety of that race, then it makes sense to have a shake directly post-workout with a good 20 grams of protein in um, to to make sure that you get a good serving of protein in there because otherwise you would have had a long duration without a a serving of protein, if that makes sense. Right then, everyone. Thank you for submitting your questions. Um, I've just gone over the hour, so I'm going to leave the podcast there. I hope you enjoyed this one. All about tapering for an event and peaking for an event. If you've got any more questions, please submit them or drop me a message. I'll be quite welcome to answer them. Um, The next podcast is going to be the last one of this three-part series, which is about uh raced race day tactics, race day priming, and warm up protocols. Um but for now, thank you very much for listening. If you wouldn't mind Um, please share this podcast to your Instagram stories or give me a shout out on any of your social media channels. It really is helpful. And when I see it, it does genuinely fill me with joy um, to see the reviews going up and the views going up every single podcast. Thank you very much for listening and see you again next time.